So you guys, it's interesting because I, I, with Ann, had always heard, especially obviously when I was doing youth ministry, that 90% of uh, people who find Christ do it before the age of 18. So I actually looked up some stats and found a, 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 some real research that was done by the Barna Research Group. And what they found was this, <clears throat> that uh, people who find Christ, 43% who put their faith in Jesus do so before the age of 13. So almost half of people who make a decision for Christ do so right before they even hit their teenage years. And then, by the time they're 18, the stat they had anyway was 64%. So two-thirds of all people who have put their faith in Christ do so by the time they're 18. While you're 18 to 21, kind of in that college range, another 13% put their faith in Christ. So what that means is, you put that all together, and only 23%, okay, actually put their faith in Christ after the age of 21. So three-quarters, at least... Three-quarters of people are, are making that decision. Um, and that's why we really believe that youth ministry and ministry to our children is so critical. You know, it's interesting, too, because even the people who find him after 21, you know what Jesus said, right? He said, unless you become like a, like a child. <laughs> so everybody who finds him after uh, 21 somehow got the heart of a child. It's a, it's a soft heart. It's what we talked about last week, this ability to accept and to receive and to move forward. I was actually, personally, I was very encouraged by that stat that 23% are still finding them after 21. And some of you are sitting right here in this room, which is very, very cool. So here's my question. Why is it, though, that the majority of people find Christ before 21? And I think it's because of this. Because the more we live life, the more experiences we have, the more teaching we receive, and everything that you experience and every teaching, everything that you take in creates a pattern of thinking. So every wiring, all of your mind is nothing but little wirings that, that an experience happens, a teaching happens, and it's like another, I heard a guy say, another novel gets put inside your head. And if you, if by the time you're 21, you now have a real pattern of thinking, of believing. You already have developed beliefs and how you perceive and how you relate to the world. And so every one of those creates, it's like a new step. And in a path, that's how a path is created. A path is created by steps repeatedly done in the same direction. And so what happens is, especially in our world, is sometimes that path is one that hardens itself to the influence of God. It, it hardens itself to the influence of his existence. And if you believe he exists, then to his teachings and his ways, this whole idea of this message of salvation or faith or intimacy with him. And so what happens when you've developed patterns of thought and things of believing, a worldview, a perception of reality that has hardened itself to God? See, and then his word comes to you and it hits that path. See, well, that's what Jesus said last week. If you were here, we started a new series on the parable of the sower. In Matthew 13, 3 and 4, it says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came, and they ate it. So later he goes on to describe this, and he says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and he snatches away what was sown in his heart so that they may not believe and be saved. 
This is the seed sown along the path. Actually, Maggie, I think we have that scripture. Is there a way that we can put that up, up on the screen? The one that I just read, when anyone hears a message about the kingdom, does not understand, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. What I did there is I took Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is a three times a story he shared, and I put it all together. So here's where we're going, starting off uh, 2012 at K2. Last week, we looked and Jesus said, hey, I'm going to sow my word. My word is going to go out. And last week, we looked at what happens if you have good soil. He says, what happens if your heart is good? He goes, well, then you'll accept what I'm teaching. And not only will you accept it and believe it, you'll actually act on it. You'll do what it says. And if you keep doing what it says, your life will produce a crop He says, you will be fruitful. That one little seed can produce 30, 60, 100 times. And we talked about, well, what does that life look like? Well, the fruitful life is this love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. It's just this awesome life. And God says, I want to multiply that with inside of you. But he's also talking about every person who follows my teaching, your life will multiply itself in other people's lives. You will affect all the people around you. The way the kingdom of God grows numerically, the way the church grows, is by every single person who's his child accepting his word, living a life that's fruitful, that other people taste and see that the Lord is good, and then they put their faith in Christ and it multiplies. And so what we said is, man, how cool would it be if we started off 2012 looking at, I want to make sure that my life is fruitful this year. I want it to multiply. And that was last week's message. And so today, and for the next two weeks, what we're going to look at is what hinders that from happening. Think about your own life. How fruitful, how much of the fruit of the Spirit do you feel like is just, just stirring up inside of you? How much impact, how many, if you're a follower of Christ here today, How many other people that you know at your workplace or your family or your neighbors have you had impact on and actually God has used you to draw people to him? And if not, what's hindering that from happening? So today, there's a hardness. There can be a lack of acceptance, a point where we simply don't believe. And Jesus says, when my word goes out, sometimes it lands on that type of heart. And it's a heart that can't receive it, just doesn't believe it. Now, let me just say, there's two types of us in here in this room. Some of you are here, and you're at that point where it's like this whole idea of Jesus Christ and of God and salvation, all that kind of stuff. At this point, you just are like, I just don't believe that. That's what happens to me. You guys share stuff, and sometimes I like it, but it just bounces off. I can't understand it. But let me just share with you, I know most of you in this room have already received Christ. But did you know that the only reason your life is not 30, 60, 100 times? Do you know why that's not? Do you know why mine isn't 30, 60, 100 times? Because there are still places in my heart where I don't believe. There are still hard places in your heart. Now, and just if you're questioning that, if you go, oh, how dare you say that, Dave? I can't wait to hear your messages. Yeah, whatever. But um, here's, here's how you know that there's still places in your heart that are hard soil. How many of you look just like Jesus? That's what I thought. Did you know 
that if you did everything, if you believed everything that he taught, and if you did everything he taught, your life would be a hundred times what it is today. So as we go through this teaching about what happens when the word hits hard soil, I'm just going to ask you, all of you, are there places of teaching that you don't accept? Are you struggling to really believe the sexual purity that God says is his will for you? Are you struggling to accept his teaching about being generous with your finances? Are you still holding on to what you have instead of being a a flow in a river of generosity? Are you struggling to forgive somebody? Do you think it's okay to hold a grudge and not forgive somebody? Are, Are you struggling to really believe that if the greatest, you want to be the greatest in the whole kingdom, it means you're the servant of all, and at your home, that's what you are? See, there's, there's all these teachings where we go, oh, yeah. You see, and the point is, I don't believe that yet. My heart's still hard. Okay, so you ready? You ready today? Let's pray. God, would you show us how to get through, how you want to get through this hardness that's in our heart? Why don't we believe? Why can we not accept the word when it comes to us. Because God, none of us want to live a life that's like a path. None of us want to have the potential of 30, 60, 100 times living and not live that life. So Lord, would you come today in this moment and grant grace and openness, shine the light in our hearts so that we can understand in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So what, the, what Jesus says is this, you guys. And, and the, do we not have that? I, I'm sorry, do we not have that scripture, the, the first one the, of the parable? Thank you so much. Okay. When anyone hears his message about the kingdom and does not understand. So the issue here somehow is God's word comes and we don't understand it. It's really interesting. I looked up the definition and this is what the definition uh, of this original word means, to understand. It means to put, as it were, the perception with the thing being perceived. Anybody get that? I didn't either. Okay. But here's the definition. It means to put, as it were, the perception, how you view things, with the thing being perceived. In other words, it also says to set or join together in the mind. There's alignment that takes place. And what's interesting, we all know this, when you say, when, when you start to understand something, what you'll say is something like this. Oh, it's all starting to come together. Now, do you, do you see what I'm saying, right? We've all said that. Nah, it's all starting to come together. How I'm perceiving it is finally matching what it really is. And until that happens, you just can't understand things. Another definition is to perceive the intended meaning of. And so uh, sometimes I can hear you, but I can totally miss your intention. You guys ever had that experience? No. Okay. So let me give you an example. I come home. I don't know what day it was on Wednesday or Thursday. And I walk home and uh, Susie had told me that she got some new jeans. And I walked in and they were really dark and she didn't have any dark jeans before. And so I knew those were the new jeans. And can I say, she looked hot. And I walk in and I see my wife in the kitchen. And I did. I turn around. I go, man, I love those jeans. And I said, but she had big boots on though. And I said, I just don't, it's, I don't know how they, uh, uh, what they look like on the bottom, 
you know? And so, uh, so anyway, about five, ten minutes goes on, and all of a sudden Susie comes back at me, and she says something like, um, so you really don't like my jeans, huh? And I'm like, wait, wait, did you not just hear me five minutes ago? And see, all she heard was, I don't know what they look like on the bottom. <laughs> she totally missed the intention and I love these jeans, and she missed it. You guys, anybody else married out there? You're just like, you just go, man, I try so hard. And you can miss it. The perception did not match the intention. And so what we say is, and here, you know what happened then? And two, in five, ten minutes, I could tell, man, she was hurt, right? And what was there? There was complete disconnection. Because what was perceived wasn't in line. My, the perception wasn't in line. It didn't come together, and there's separation. I don't get it. My perception, the way I see, doesn't align with what you're showing me or what you're saying to me. So here's the deal, you guys. All of us have a worldview. All of us have a perception of reality and a perception about what's true. And what happens is we have this perception, and then we say, my worldview and what you, Jesus, are saying about the world there's a total disconnect. Even for all of you and me who who follow him, who are Christians, we still hear things from him. And we say in our heart, God, this is how I view money, though. This is how I view relationships, though. This is how I view when someone hurts me. This is how I view, you see, and then he comes and he shares what his view is and we go, "Mm, I don't get it. And what happens is there's disconnect. And whenever there's disconnect from Jesus, because he said, if you remain in me, you'll do what? You will bear a ton of fruit. And yet we are disconnected and we're not bearing the fruit that he has for us. So Ephesians 4.18 says this. Paul's talking about people who are struggling to put their faith in Christ And he said, people who are like that are darkened in their understanding and they're separated from the life of God because of the lack of knowledge that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Okay, this is really critical. Look at this. They're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the lack of knowledge that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So let's let's take this backwards. If you're separated from the life of God. So if you, if, again, if you're not a Christian today and you're just sitting there going, I know this, this whole thing that God's talking about, I'm not experiencing it. If you're a Christian and you're saying, I see it and I read it, but I'm not experiencing it. I'm somehow separated. I'm not fully fruitful in my life. Why is that? He's, Paul says it's because you're darkened in your understanding. What he's saying is you can't see it. Your perception is not aligning with what God is showing you. You're seeing things different than the way he is. Well, why is that happening? Why is my, why is my understanding darkened? What does he say? It's because you have a lack of knowledge. See, but this is really important. True knowledge of any subject comes not when somebody seeks to master it or to use it. True knowledge of any subject comes when someone looks at it in awe and in honor of its very essence and says, teach me, show me, reveal to me what is true about you. 
See, when you take a class on any time when you were in school, if you were in college, if you walked into this class and you didn't really want to learn the subject, you wanted to use it for you. <laughs> you wanted to get it so that you could use it. It's completely different because what happens is you come in with preconceived notions about what that thing is. But if, when you walk into a class or you walk into today, or you open your Bible and you read it, and you say, you know what, God? I just believe there is truth in who you are. And I want you to show me who you are. I want you to reveal to me who you are. You guys, this is so true with every human relationship you've got. If you are going to know, let's get away from a subject, let's get to a person, because that's who God is. This is about getting to know a person. The only way you will ever get to know any person is not if you already have preconceived notions about who they are and if you're trying to tell them who they are. The only way you get to know them is if you are open to them sharing with you who they are. And you receive them and you allow them into your life. So you can't know somebody if you never allow them into your life. Then you'll never know how they relate to you. You'll never know how they'll interact with you. So then you don't really know them. You're left to thinking, well, I think they might do this. Is thinking what they might do knowing somebody? It's not. You've got to let them into your life. And you have to get into their life. And once that happens, you truly know them. So what Paul says is, here's the problem, you guys. You're separated from God because you are darkened in your understanding and you're darkened in your, in your understanding because you have a lack of knowledge. You don't really know him. And then he says this, and why do you have lack of knowledge? <laughs> he says it's because of a hardness of our heart. See, if you have a hardness of heart, then what you're doing is you're really setting yourself up against something. You won't, either you won't allow someone in, and so you... You just kind of say, I'm not, I don't agree with you. <laughs> you. Debaters, some people just love to debate. And if you are a debater, you have no openness. You're going to set yourself up against what the other person is telling you. Okay? Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Paul's trying to talk about, man, how do we do this? How do we get past this point of people not understanding? And he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So, if we're here today, and you know right now, I, I don't know God, like Jesus did, I am not experiencing the fullness. I, I just, there's a lot of things I don't know about him. What Paul says is, the, the reason is, is because somewhere your heart's hard. Somehow, you have set up a pretension and an argument inside, believer, non-believer, all of us in here. You set up arguments against God. I just, I'm sorry, man, that's just so true of Christians. We argue with God all the time. And we set up pretensions, and it says pretensions against, I'm sorry, pretensions that set itself up against the knowledge. Here's what's interesting. You know what that means? Figuratively, that word setting itself, a pretension set up against, is the word for putting up a wall. It's for putting up a fortress. 
is for putting up a barrier. Now, if you put up a barrier or a fortress, what's the purpose for doing that? Keep it out. (laughs) See, and what God is, what the scriptures are telling us is part of the reason that we have this, God throws his seed and it bounces off our heart and it doesn't, we don't accept it. It's because inside we're setting up walls. We're setting up barriers. We're actually hardening our heart to him because we don't want him to actually get in and change what's going on. It's called hard soil. And Jesus says every Sunday here, I throw out seed. I throw out seed. And sometimes we walk away and it's just like, I'm not accepting that one. Why not? Let me just, let me just say, let's think about this. How does our heart get hard towards God? How does a heart get hard towards God? And I'm going to put it in just two categories. One is I think because we can have wrong perceptions of God. We have wrong perceptions of him. Some of us have had bad religious experiences. You've experienced spiritual abuse, legalism, manipulation. And if you went to church, this was what Jesus struggled with with the religious leaders of that day. See, and what he told them is you guys, by the way you're representing God, you're making your followers twice the sons of hell that you are. See, so sometimes you went to church and you experienced religion and it was so not in alignment with who God really is that you now have a wrong perception of him. So when his word comes out, you go, bam, and you just, you don't, I'm not going to deal with it. Sometimes, and this is really a, another reason why our heart gets hard towards God, is we see authority figures as representatives of who he is. You don't even mean to, but you just do. And I'm telling you, when God... <laughs> When you start to see that God is like our dad. See, many of us, your whole view of your dad is how you view God. Or some of you view God as the way your minister was or the way that your bishop was. And as soon as that happens, if your dad or your pastor or your minister was not representing God and it wasn't right alignment, man, you will put up walls to God and you won't want him in. And and another reason, you guys, we put up walls is because you and I live in a world where our whole education system, if you're intellectual at all, this whole idea of God is a bunch of hogwash. And you're trained in that, and you're taught that over and over and over again. So when his word comes, immediately there's skepticism. And you have an argument. And you set up a pretension against that because it's foolishness. That's what we're taught. It's just foolishness. So part of the reason is because we have a wrong perception of God. The second reason is because we have a wrong perception of ourselves. The other reason that we put up walls and his seed bounces off us is because we don't see ourselves correctly. According to the Bible, some of us will sit there and go, you know what, I'm actually quite good. I don't really have a need of God. This whole idea of a savior is just weird to me. Some of us, we see ourselves as in control. Or at least, we think we're the best ones to be in control. And so this idea that I should give up control and give it to somebody else, that's just ludicrous. There's no way I'm going to do that. For some of us, your wrong perception is, you think it's up to you. There's this rugged individualism. Especially in America, man. It's like, you can do it! And you should do it! And then, this also happens in religion too, though. Because sometimes many people feel like the wrong perception is you can do it. So do a whole lot of religious stuff. See, and so then when God throws out his his seed and he says, hey, it's not about what you do. You know, this wall comes up and goes, wait a second. That doesn't make any sense to me. 
We have a pretension set up against God. And then the last one, you guys, we have a wrong perception about ourselves. Because this life is hard. And there's a lot of wounds. And we have received so many lies about our value, about how precious we are, about how loved we are. And too many people look in the mirror and they just see somebody that is, has no value. Somebody who's not lovable at all. And so it's so weird because here's God coming with this amazing message of love and we find our hearts hard to it. There's no way he could love me. There's no way he could forgive me. There's no way he could care about me. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's so weird. And we want to believe it and yet our heart's hard and it bounces off it. So, why do we have a hard heart? Because of wrong perceptions of God and wrong perceptions of ourselves. And then... Jesus says somehow the devil fits into all this. He says the evil one comes and he snatches away what was sown in the heart. And I know as soon as I mention the devil, some of you are like, okay, that's just weird talk. But can I just share with you, as much as everybody really respects Jesus as a great moral teacher, if you do respect him as a great moral teacher, one of the things you're going to see is he talks a lot about a spiritual enemy who seeks to steal our stuff away. And how does he do that? Jesus just said he is the father of all lies. He's been lying from the beginning. And from the very beginning, we see Satan enter into the picture. He lied about two things. He lied about who God was, and he lied about who we were. And he said, you can't trust him. He's holding things back from you. He doesn't really care about you. He doesn't want you to have the best thing. And then he looks at us and he says, but you, you can do it. Just do your own thing, be in control, figure it out. It's all within you. And both of those are lies. So every time God's word comes and he says, I love you, the enemy comes in and goes, no, he doesn't. (laughs) Every time God's word comes in and says, hey, trust me on this one. It's the best thing. He lies to us and goes, are you kidding me? That's ludicrous. And he steals the seed and it doesn't get accepted. And then the last thing is this, you guys for me, and then I'm going to pass this on, is the question then is, well, how? How do I ever get to a place where God's word can come and I'll actually receive it? It was so interesting. How does the path ever become good soil? How does rejection ever become acceptance? In Luke chapter 7, verses 29 and 30, it says this, um, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for them. And I I tell you, every time I read that, I just, that makes me so sad. They rejected God's purpose for them. Why? Because they had not been baptized by John. I just read that a little while ago. Isn't that interesting? Even tax collectors, which meant even people who were really, really far away from God, When God's word came, they accepted it. But these religious people, when God's word came, they didn't accept it. Why? And what was the difference? Some people were baptized by John and some weren't. You know what the baptism of John was? It was called the baptism of repentance. You know what repentance is? Repentance is you have your heart, you have your life, you have the way you live totally geared towards this way. And what John did, in fact, his job was, I don't know if you guys know this, his job was to prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord. He's coming. 
Get your heart ready. And so when people got baptized by John, what they did is they turned their heart this way. They were the ones who said, you know what? Maybe we're not right. <laughs> maybe, the way I'm not li- maybe the way I'm living isn't the right way. And I realize I'm not in line with God and I'm going to actually turn my heart towards him. You know what it takes, you guys, to repent from the way you live? It takes a ton of humility. A ton. It's hard to say you're wrong. It's hard to say that maybe there's someone who's greater than you and who's better than you. And so, but every person that prepared their heart, that took the soil and they turned it this way, then when God's word came, what did they do? They received it. Now here's what's interesting. One of the ways, you guys, that it's hard to be proud, um, something that really produces uh, hum- humility more than anything else, is when you're scared. You guys ever been really, really scared? <laughs> when you're scared, when all of a sudden there's something that's absolutely way more powerful than you, <laughs> and it can take you down, and you finally know it, how many of you still go, bring it on? You just don't. You go, okay. Right? And so as soon as there's a fear, a, a healthy fear inside of, with something that's more powerful, you'll fall in line with it or it'll destroy you, right? Check out this verse. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. How does the seed get accepted? What the Bible says is you've got to see God for who he really is. And once you do, you'll tremble. And once you tremble, you can have understanding. And you'll finally know him. And then the seed will start to take root. About two months ago, somebody threw a video at me of Francis Chan. I don't know if you've heard of Francis Chan or not. He's an amazing teacher. I think God, someone God's really using powerfully in our midst, in our nation today. And um, I'm actually going to show you a teaching of his about the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's how the seed can take root. And sometimes you just watch somebody teach and you go, okay, he's 10 times better than me. And you should just listen to him. So let's take a moment and let's let Francis Chan lead us through what it means to fear the Lord.
I spent a lot of years going to services and, and churches and, and listening to messages and watching different trends come and go. And all the while, there's been this frustration going, gosh, it seems like what I'd read in the Bible was pretty different from what I'd experience in a church building in a church service. And, and, and I also noticed this trend where as things became more popular in the world, the church would follow suit and go, oh, yeah, that's, that's popular here. And, and as people would say certain things are unpopular, the church would almost get embarrassed of those things, like embarrassed of certain doctrines, maybe even embarrassed of the way God described himself. One of the biggest issues that you see in Scripture is, is this idea of the fear of God. I mean, I mean, the Bible says in Psalm 111, verse 10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's not that there aren't a million other things to learn about God, but he says you've got to start with the fear of the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom. And, and so for me to be wise and begin to understand God, it starts with a healthy understanding of fear. And, and because in the church there was this trend where people were saying, yeah, that fear of God, that, that's kind of old school, you know, this hellfire brimstone. We don't, we don't really do that anymore. So in church we start going, okay, yeah, 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 we don't, let's talk about the other areas of God. But if we skip the fear of God, we won't understand the other areas. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And anytime someone would, would, would quote this uh, a verse on the fear of the Lord, because it's inevitable, it's, it's in there hundreds of times. But the moment they would say the fear of the Lord, they would say, okay, let's stop here and make sure you understand that when I say fear, I don't mean fear. It's, it's more of a respect. It's more of an awe. And I would read and go, are you sure about that? Because it sure looks like real fear to me. And, and, and when, when people came in contact with this God, it didn't look like just a respect or an awe. It sure appears that they are terrified. surfing with some friends and it was probably a little too big for me but you know, everyone was out so I went out and I remember falling and getting sucked under this wave I don't know if you've ever been under the power of a wave it's happened to me several times but this was so different because it was so powerful it was like my body is just tumbling and I'm just tucked in there and I am so scared because I'm spinning so fast I have no idea what's which way's up my, my, my head is freezing you know in this freezing cold water I'm getting nauseous but the worst part is I'm feeling like I can't hold my breath any longer I can't hold my breath any longer and it's just tumbling man I'm like when's this thing gonna let go and, and I'm saying come on let me go let me go God I'm gonna die I'm gonna die I'm gonna die and then finally finally the last second it's like I, I, I can finally see a little bit of light and I just reach out and go, you know, I get to the top and I could take this breath. Ah, but that feeling of just intense fear, you see, that's, that's what I see in, in, in the Bible. It's not like they think to themselves, okay, I should muster up some reverence now, or I should show them a little bit of respect. No, it's, it's this out of control, like Isaiah, the prophet, when he saw God, he just goes, 
I'm dead. He's going to kill me. It's just this instant fear. John, the beloved disciple, the one that, that, that Jesus loved, when, when Jesus comes back in his glorified state, John sees him and he says, I just fell at his feet like, like I was dead. I just fainted. I just, I just passed out. That's what I see in scripture. It's not this um, idea of this God that we can control. It's really weird to me how, how nowadays people talk about God with such an arrogance. Like they really believe that they're the first person that's going to be able to come before God and question him. And that God's going to actually go, wow, I never thought of that before. You know, it's just this, how do we get there? I mean, think about it. If, if, if Moses and Isaiah and John and even the high angels all have the same response to God, why would I think that I'm going to respond differently? or, or, or that, that somehow I won't have the same fear. See, it's not even an issue of should I fear, should I not fear, should I talk? I'm just saying this is just reality. The reality is whoever you are, the moment you see God, you are going to fear him. We all will. In Isaiah 44, verse 6, he goes, I'm the first and the last, and besides me, there is no God. Who's like me? Who's like me? Let him proclaim it. In other words, is there someone else that's like me? Then have him speak up. And, and, and he goes on and, and he says, I, I appointed the ancient people. He goes, if, if you think that you can match up to me, then why don't you declare what's to come? Okay, tell me the future. God goes, I know the future. I knew when you were going to be born, and I know the last day you're going to have on this earth. I know everything. Why don't you tell me the future if you want to come and challenge me? Those are the words that God uses. He doesn't say, oh, come on, come teach me something. He goes, no, no, you need to understand there's no one else. There's one being. There's always been just me, and no one can challenge you. You want to challenge me? Why don't you stand up right now and, and just tell everyone, hey, I could live without you. You see, this is the way God speaks. And I know, I know this isn't a, a popular way to talk because we, we want a more manageable God. We want a God that we can question and, and, and tell him things and explain things to him. But the truth is, is this is the way God speaks about himself. And, and sometimes in, in our churches, we're almost embarrassed that our God is as powerful as he is and that he speaks so boldly about himself and tells us to fear him. But here's the, here's the crazy part about it, is the next verse, right after he says these things, in verse 8, he says, fear not. He doesn't say fear me there. He, he actually switches and says fear not. And it's, it's almost confusing at first. You go, wait a second. You're telling me who you are, and then, then once I get to this point of fear, you kind of go, but fear not, nor be afraid. Now, now, why would he say that? You see, it's actually a very common theme in Scripture. For, for example, when Isaiah saw God and he's terrified, he goes, ah, you're going to kill me. Then God says, oh, no, 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 Isaiah, it's, it, it, it's okay. Um, 
I'm actually going to send one of my angels. And, and, and an angel takes this coal. And he says, you know, Isaiah was saying, gosh, I'm such a sinner. I've said such bad things. And God says, no, watch. This coal is going to touch your lips. And I'm going to forgive you of everything. It's um, when John falls over like a dead man and just is terrified. Jesus goes, no, no, no. Don't be afraid. It's me, Jesus. It's the same thing that he's doing here. And he's saying to them, he goes, look, I am this, this, this is amazing God that you ought to fear. But once you get to that point, he goes, you don't have to fear me. The Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's, it's just this, but, but you have to get to that point. You have to get to this point where you understand it's not about you. It's about this, this being who is way more powerful than you. And, and rather than trying to challenge him, you can actually find security in him. See, what, what's amazing is God uses these terms in scripture. He calls us his children. Think about that for a second. The, the security of a child. I mean, I mean, I, I've got four kids, and and I'm not like this big tough guy or anything. But but if anyone tried to harm one of my kids, of course I'm going to try to protect them. And to think of the God of the universe thinking of me like one of His children. Are, are you kidding me? And and He uses terms like friend. I mean, think of the way you would d- defend your friends, or or maybe even die for your friends. And 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 the crazy one to me, though, the really intense one is when he refers to the church as his bride if someone were attacking my wife i mean what an absolute loser i would be if i just said you're gonna have to fend for yourself honey no i'd jump in i'd give my life for her and to think that the god of the universe is calling us his bride Uh, there's a security we can have. I mean, that's where the security comes from. But you'll never get there if you're not willing to, to, to get to that point of fear. I think this would be a lot easier if we could actually just see him. I mean, can you imagine if we just got... Five seconds in his presence, it really would change us forever because then we would see, okay, now I know why I need to fear this God. And and now I, I don't want to just flippantly disobey his commands anymore. I want to take him seriously. But 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 not just that, but it would it would change our whole mindset because we'd realize now that I've seen him, I realize there's nothing else to fear. It's this fear of the Lord, the Bible says in, in Proverbs 19, 23. It says fear of the Lord actually leads to life. And, and those who have it rest satisfied. See, for too many years, we felt like the fear of the Lord was a bad thing. And we didn't realize this is the very thing that would lead us to life. Without the fear of the Lord, you're not going to understand why, why you should follow Jesus. Without a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord, we wouldn't understand the power that's available to us through the Holy Spirit. God wants you to fear Him. 
because that's going to lead you to a life that you've never had. And it's a better life. It's a secure life. It's a life that we were created for. pretty good, huh? Man, the first time I watched that, I just, I just found what I needed to do was just sit with that for a moment. And um, so that's actually what we're going to do. We're going to close our service a little bit different than getting up and singing right now. We're going to give you a chance to reflect on this. And I want you to start thinking really deeply about your own fear of the Lord Because the fear of him is the beginning of wisdom. Seeing him for who he really is, all of a sudden my perception of what I think God is and who he really is, this fear of him aligns that. And as the scripture says, then I can understand. And once I understand, then I can finally know him. And once I know him, that means he's in me and I'm with him and I produce this life. So this video that we watched was created to be done in a small group context. In fact, when we watched it as a planning team, we just discussed it up and down because it was so intriguing, especially with these images. So how we're going to end this is I'm actually going to put up on the screen, I'd love for you to grab the three by five cards that are laying around. And, and grab a pen. Um, in fact, if you don't have a pen, I, th- I see cards everywhere. If you need a pen, our, our connections team is back here. Because I'd love for you to be able to write down some things as you reflect. If you need one, go ahead and raise your hand. And I'm actually going to put up some images and some questions that this organization that put together this video did. It's their own questions about how to start to reflect on the sphere of the Lord. I'm going to be actually be very quiet. Um, and I'm just going to let you engage in reflection, in prayer, and allow God to stir your heart. So let's go ahead and start. Here's the first one. Okay, Maggie, let's just leave that last one up. So that's what I want to leave you with, that last question there. What will you do today to begin to seek that type of life? And to remember that Jesus promised to us 
is if you'll accept what I say. If you hold on to it and actually do it, and if you'll persevere and not give up, your life will be 30, 60, 100 times. And then he comes along and he says, so can I just share with you one reason that you might not be experiencing this love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, all of this. One reason that you might not be experiencing the impact and the influence of, that I want to have through you is because there are things that I tell you and you don't believe me. And so he just says, so what would happen if you could fear me in these things? So we can stop and say, okay, why is it? Why is it that my relationships are broken? Why is it that I'm involved continually, sexually, let's say outside of God's desires? Why am I continuing to do that? Well, part of the, he would say, well, because you don't fear me, you don't really believe me on this one. And you're going to reap what you sow and it's going to be ugly and I just don't want that. Why is it that I'm not just completely generous with all that I have? Why am I stuck in this sense that I need to keep things for me and that life will be better if I hold on to stuff? Well, because you don't fear me. Because you don't know that someday we're going to go through this together when we're face to face. And, and if you knew who I was, you would so respond to me. And then, once you respond to me, you'd realize, oh my gosh, this is the way to live. And you'd have nothing to fear. You wouldn't fear the economy. You wouldn't fear the loss of a job. You wouldn't fear. Because he's so great. And you know he's for you. See, why can't I forgive? Because I don't really fear God. And I don't, see, everything that we get to when we realize, why am I not at peace? Why am I still anxious? Why am I just, all of these things, he just comes back and he says, because this seed hasn't got into your heart yet. Why hasn't it got into my heart yet? Because the beginning of wisdom is you fear me. And then once, I love how Francis said that, and once you fear me, you finally realize you have nothing to fear. Because I'm more powerful than everything around you. So what are you going to do? Let me just give you a couple things. The first thing is I think we all need to admit, can we just admit to God where our heart is still hard? That's got to start there. You just got to come to God and say, God, I'm not buying you on this one. And you just, you just got to be honest with him. And then you need to understand this, that the problem isn't with God or his seed. The problem lies with us. And again, be honest and just say, God, I'm not ready for that one. I'm not willing I'm not open, and I'm not listening. I'm telling you guys, the only way the seed will ever crack our hard heart is this repentance thing, is actually turning to God and being, and the only way that's going to happen is you've got to be honest with God about how you feel his word to you is. If you're not buying it, you've got to tell him, and it has to start there. And then, can I just tell you, I think we all need to get down and dirty, the title of the series, In Our Heart, and this is going to be hard work, but you got to go home and you got to really be honest with yourself and say, why don't I believe that Jesus Christ, what wrong is the Son of God? What perception of God do I have that causes me to set up an argument against him? What perception do I have about myself? 
What's going on in my heart that's setting up arguments against God? And we got to just dig down deep and to find out what those are. And then the last thing I'll say is this. He said, knock and the door will be opened. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. And I just want to tell you, whatever your issue is, ask, knock, and seek. Because you know what'll happen? If you start doing that, you know, this is going to happen. You, in turn, will hear a knock on your heart. And it'll shock you. Because you're the one who's been knocking, asking, and seeking, and then all of a sudden you're going to hear a knock on your door. <laughs> I heard Erwin uh, McManus say this. He was talking to a gal, and she said, man, I, I keep trying to understand God, and I keep trying to find him. She goes, I feel like I'm going around this building, around and around and around, and I can't find the door, and nobody will show me the door how to get in. <laughs> and he said, he goes, actually, can I turn that around for you? He goes, what the Bible teaches is that you're the one in the building. And that God is going around and around and around. And he's simply saying, will you let me in? Because it's not about what you do. It's about what you let in. And that takes faith. So there's no sense, you guys. The goal would be that wherever you're at now in 2012 in January, that in December, wherever the hard place of your soil is, it might be softened. And that through these next 12 months, you could start just being honest with God. You could start asking and knocking and seeking. And then when you hear the knock on your heart, you'd go, okay, come on in. Come on into my finances. Come into my marriage. Come into my anger. And for some of you, just come into my life, Jesus. Okay, let's pray. Lord, again, thank you that you throw your seed on all hearts, that we don't have to get ourselves ready for this, that you come to soft hearts and hard hearts, and as we're going to look at next week, rocky hearts and thorny hearts, and your word comes to all of us, God. But would you help us today, all of us in here, to start to get an understanding of who you are. Help us to get our perception in line with what is really true so that we can actually understand and see you for who you really are. More powerful, more great, more loving, more holy than we ever dreamed of. And more for us and more good than we could ever hope for. So God, destroy the work of the enemy who tries to steal away these seeds and come in and plant a crop. Make our lives fruitful in the name of Jesus. Amen.